Jillian, Natalie, the first question I have is, do you both like to be called by those first names? Meaning, are you more of a Jill and you're more of a Nat or Jillian and Natalie, is it? I've never thought once to call you Nat. Really? Is that a thing? Many people call me Nat. Do you like it? I don't love it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like it. I like it. I don't okay. love it. I, I like the familiarity. I like that someone feels comfortable calling me that. I don't like the sound of what it. What about Natty Ice? Has anyone ever called me that? People have called me that too. You hate that? Yeah, they don't yeah. like it. <laughs> I, I like how it feels that someone knows me well yes. enough that they want to call it's me very that. sweet. It's not a fun name. Like it doesn't, it's not beautiful. I love disrespect. It doesn't make me go, nah. You I'm know, definitely like, not a Jill. No one calls me Jill. My mom used to, at, at in uh, my elementary school, if someone said Jill, she would go, Ian like after the yeah, yeah. yeah so so just been jillian although people who are close to me call it call me jilly i call you jilly yeah, sometimes. yeah you do yeah okay well we're going to come back to all that and we're going to come back to complimenting plan b which was a fantastic movie but but both of you come from very interesting but similar backgrounds where you're both writers producers, voiceover people who do comedic roles most of the time. But I couldn't figure it out. Had you two worked together on any projects before this film? Um, no, not really, except we did we did like a charity benefit show, like a live show. Like, I think that was like 2009 or something. That's crazy. Or 2000. Yeah, it must have been before then. No, I, it was, no, it was, I was in 2009, I was in SNL. And you came, yes. But we knew each other, before. yes. So it has to be like yeah. two thousand nine ish. Um, and and we we've known each other since then, but we'd never worked together on anything. So we were excited to do it on this. Yeah. Okay. So how much preparation, Jill Ian, is there <laughs> for a role like this? In that you're somebody that you didn't really know that well, but you're acting like it's your best friend, and you know you're gutted by the loss of them. I know it's acting. But a lot of times they do chemistry reads and chemistry dates and all that before finalizing a cast. But this is filmed during COVID, correct? Yeah. Yeah, it was filmed during COVID. Everything was like over FaceTime or phone calls. I met the director for the first time when we were spitting into tubes, getting ready to work together. So, you know, it was height of COVID and, and, and pretty crazy. And the thing was, Natalie was shooting Plan B, yeah. which was, you know, her directorial debut for mm -hmm. a movie. And and um, and at the time, I remember we even sent you the script. And then I was like, read this part. No, wait, read this part now. Because I was like, it'd be so cool for you to be the alien. Yeah, yeah. Because originally, I think you were reading for my part. Right. And then I was like, oh, I really agree with it. Yeah, and I was like, and I, I was like, also, you should be the alien. Yeah, like, yeah. that'd be so cool. And I don't think I've seen... You do something yeah. like that, yeah. It was lucky that we both wanted to switch. I know it was cool. Yeah. It, yeah. it was really meant to be. Um, yeah, but I had to read it like during breaks while filming Plan B because I had not, and, and we shot it immediately after I wrapped Plan B. But his question is, yeah, was it hard to pretend to be my best friend? Oh, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> we did have kind of an instant connection, I feel like. Like yeah. a deeper instant connection. I yeah, I feel like the second you're shooting with someone, you either know, you know right away if you're like, I... I'd love to have a glass of wine with that person and then never work with them again. Or I, this is going to be a friend in my life for a very yeah. long time. And I honestly had that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, <laughs> where does that wonderful accent come from in that alien life form? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I just knew, I knew that, I knew that Jillian and I, I mean, I was like, Jillian, is this, is this, is this anything? <laughs> um, 
I I knew that it would be somebody who could whose mouth could make the English words because she had the all the muscle memory and knew, knew had her memories but didn't quite know where to put the emphasis on the syllables right and and um and and also was talking for the first time so it was I knew that it was like something that this alien had to get used to and that would probably start off weird and then get a little bit more you know more more human more like. human as she got to practice it and experience it um and so that's what I was trying to you know maintain in in my head it was like what if what if someone got to be like it's like a, if, if a baby was born into an adult body uh <laughs> for the first time and like knew how to talk and walk but like didn't know what life was and like everything else you know um and so I was kind of basing it off that I guess yeah but it comes across organic and wonderful and it's a god well I, I think I think you can be so believe right? you're so good at that. Thank you. Thank you. It, it is actually really uh for a while we would talk like that. Like it was hard to get yeah. out of out of talking like this. Like it was like we got stuck doing that. Well, that works. And the last thing I'm gonna ask both of you before I let you go, as again, writer, producer, on-screen talent, voiceover people what's next or is it all i'm totally fine all the time forever i wish it was well, yeah what if we just did yeah, we just we kept just doing this yeah game. we just promoted this so movie many so the day we die <laughs> so many sequels um yeah i i'm doing um i'm doing the morning show right now which is uh really exciting and and i'm i'm happy really happy to be a part of that and I'm working on some other projects that I can't quite tell you about yet. And so is she that I'm really excited about. <laughs> I'm I'm getting excited. Like I just directed a music video. I'm hoping to do more of that, which was really fun. And um, you know, just branching out a little bit more. I really like writing. Yeah. I like directing. Are you allowed to say which music video or whose music video? Yes, is? yes, it's already out. It's um this artist Ben Abraham um did a song called uh if i didn't love you and you can look it's it up wonderful. on youtube and charlie day and mary elizabeth ellis are starring in it and it's it's pretty weird she did such a good job it's such a great video thanks yes well i look forward to the next projects to come from both of you but congratulations on this film Thank again you. the plan b uh compliments continue Thank so you. onwards and upwards to you both jill thanks, and Matt. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Do you go by Dare? Does anybody call you Dare? Yeah. You okay. do. Dare. Bye, Dare. Thanks. Plus everything. Hello, we are P1 Harmony. And you're watching the Paltrocast. Paltrocast. Technology aside, how is your day going out there? Uh it's 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 going slow. Slowly, proper. Those sound like lessons learned. Um, see what I did there? Okay. Um, <laughs> congratulations on this album. And I was thinking about this before. I've seen you live in four different projects. Obviously, STP, Hollywood Vampires, Kings of Chaos, Delta Deep. You never stopped making music. Like Even when you're in a band that's selling millions of records, you always have a side thing going on, which is incredible. So how long did it take for Lessons Learned to come together? Oh, it's been, it seems like a lifetime, but it's been um, really, really over the past two or three years of having all that time to really, uh, you know, it, it allowed us all to kind of um, 
really rethink life. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, a lot of life came my way. Um, so I, you know, usually when that happens, I retreat to my, my, my best friends, my, my instruments. And uh, that's really what it was all about is, is finding solace in, um, in, in those instruments. Um, they speak to me and um, it's amazing uh, what they bring to every musician's life, you know, whether mm -hmm. it be piano or guitar or anything. It's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great gift that I'd never take for granted. Some of the songs on the album were done with one of my favorite singers and songwriters, Jimmy Necco from the band Hours. When you were writing with Jimmy, did you know that this was for a solo album or is it just a creative exercise at that point? It was, it was intentional as a solo album. I, 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 I went to Jimmy and I, I knew when I wrote that song, Love Is Not Made Of Gold was written by me musically and I was running out of lyrical ideas. And I went to another singer who I adore is uh, Pete Shoulder. Mm -hmm. Sings uh, Big Sky Woman and Put Aside Your Sorrows. Pete is a brilliant lyricist too. And he did the lyrics for Love Is Not Made Of Gold. Those lyrics are so touching. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it's always that thing where with, with musicians, you have to put down your ego. Uh, and it's always uncomfortable to go to someone and say, and someone as great as Jimmy, to say, um, Jimmy, do you mind singing this melody that I have and these lyrics that Pete has? And, and he was so gracious in, in doing that and, mm -hmm. and, and really felt it. I'm, I'm actually editing the video uh, for the song right now. And to see, you know, first to hear Jimmy sing this idea you have, it, it just, it, it really blew me away. And now to see him expressing himself visually with, with that song and to see his face and how he's singing someone else's lyrics. Mm -hmm. um, it takes incredible amount of, um, you know, of no ego to be egoless to, to, to do this. And um, he just did such a beautiful job on, on, on that song. 10 songs. Yeah. Well, 10 songs on the album. How many did you write to get it down to 10? Uh, it, it was 10. It was definitely, um, these are the ones that I didn't have any extras. There were no extras. This was, hmm. this was the record. I knew this was going to be the record and I consciously made these songs this journey. It's, it's a journey. Hmm. I ask it because I'm sure as somebody who's survived A&R hell many times over, and now you're at the point of your career where you call the shots, you go, this is good enough, this is what I'm doing. Back in the day, I'm sure you had to write 30 to 40 songs to get it to the 10 or 12 and made the album. You know, STP never did that. We always did the same thing. We just, you, really? you know, which, which song was the, the special song? And if it, we didn't ever have really any throwaways or any extras. It's always been that way. And that's kind of what I did is instead of having all these ideas and kind of pooping out all these songs, it, it, it never was that. It never was that. It was always, let's take this song, let's make it the greatest song it can be. And, and, and that kind of simplified the, the process a bit. And, and to me, made the songs, uh, made, made them their own, made them their mm -hmm. own thing, you know? When you're being creative in terms of writing, 
do you do a full sketched out demo before you track it in the studio, like for the album or final version? No, just go, go in and put a mic up and start recording. It's, um, I have all that in my head. I, um, I mm -hmm. have the incredible uh, gift or curse of having <laughs> music going through my brain constantly. It, it wakes me up at night. I actually have dreams of writing symphonies hmm. for real. And I'll wake up and I wish I could just put um, a recorder in my ear or up my nose or in my mouth and it could record what my brain is, is writing when I'm sleeping. It's, it's incredible. Reading liner notes growing up, when I look at the albums you played on, you obviously just, you didn't just play bass. You'd look at it and go, Robert DeLeo, bass, acoustic guitar, 12 string, backing vocals, keyboards. Like you were always doing a lot more than the everyday person realized. When you're writing, does it start on acoustic guitar? All the time. Every time it starts on acoustic. That is the main instrument. And it could be uh, different ones. It's just a matter of, you know, that's, that's, that's the joy I get out of writing, is, is being able to pick up different instruments. And that's uh, my couch guitar right there. That's a, a, a nylon string guitar. Right. And, you know, all these, all these instruments, they, they fascinate me. They still fascinate me, you know, 40 years later. You know, it's, it's, it's a fascination that I have. Um, and writing and arranging is a fascination I have. And each one of these, each one of these instruments has a different meaning, a different voice to, to a song. You know, that's, that's, that's the beauty of music. I remember reading an interview that you did maybe 10 years or so ago, where you were talking about how you were refocusing your bass playing about studying James Jamerson's bass lines. So was that what got you back into loving playing bass again? Or are you the kind of person that's always learning all the time? I'm always learning. I'm always learning. There's so many bass players that I love. Um, and, and it's really what fits the song. Mm -hmm. James Jamerson, you know, I never really studied him. I, I grew up listening to him. And it was a part of my DNA from when I was a little kid. I can remember, you know, listening to AM radio walking and, you know, a little, a little, one of those little AM radios mm -hmm. and when I was three and hearing, you know, Bernadette by the four tops and yeah, which is one of my favorite bass lines. or I was made the lover by Stevie wonder and, and going, wow, what and who is that? You know, it's always that thing when you, your, your mouth drops and it's, it's a, I guess, do you acquire that or do you just, or are you just born with that? You know, Nature and that? nurture. Yeah, yes. I don't know. But, yes. but, but you specifically, it always confused me because you were a Black Flag fan, yet you like the Motown stuff. What made you want to pick up bass in the first place? Uh, I think like every bass player, you're forced to. <laughs> you're, you're, the, you're the guy who goes here, play bass. But I'm six foot two. Um, I've got big paws and, and, and I, I felt comfortable playing bass. It felt comfortable to me. Um, and I like what it represented in the band. You know, it was, it was, it allowed me to, um, you know, you can make, and it's like any instrument, you can make what you want out of that instrument. Um, 
and I tried to make the most I could out of it. Um, but I was, I was, uh, you know, put in that position of here, you play bass. <laughs> Zappa used to say the bassist was the failed guitarist, which I don't, I don't think that's fair because, you know, there's a lot of bands where clearly the best musician in the band is the bass player. The second best is that. So did you start off with punk rock and then you got into the Motown and the funk or Motown funk and then the punk rock? Oh, I, I got into, you know, I was the youngest in the family. So, I, you know, having having older parents and a lot of step and half and sisters and brothers, you know, there mm -hmm. was so much going on in my household. Um, I, I kind of discovered um, punk when I got into high school. Actually, when I got into uh, the end of middle school, um, the Ramones uh, were, were pretty much the first punk rock and one of the most important punk rock bands. Yeah. How could you not like what someone was doing like the Ramones? They were, they were writing catchy one and a half minute songs. <laughs> right. It was perfect ear candy for being a sexually frustrated, you know, young, young boy growing into a man. I mean, it represented a lot. Well, one thing I've never been able to figure out about you, going back to the whole Jersey thing, my wife's originally from Belmar, you know, Jersey Shore. Oh, yeah. Matt Pinfield's book talked about how you and your brother got the demo tape to the radio station that Pinfield was at. Okay, when did you leave the Jersey Shore and the whole Jersey experience behind? I, I left that in, uh, in 1984. Um, and I went to uh, California in 84 after I graduated high school. So, um, you know, it was, it was uh, places like the Fast Lane and Asbury Park and playing, uh, Dean and I playing in our cover band at the Stone Pony. And, you know, I was in high school. I, 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 went, to, I went to high school and then I, I went home for a little bit. I went back to my high school and I was a janitor at my high school. So you and Kurt Cobain both have that in common there. So I, I, I went from school, went to school from eight to 2.30, ran home, got something to eat, went back from three to seven. And then I would play from 10 to two, doing four sets a night uh, at, at bars. So I can't say I was the most uh, studious uh, person in the school, but I learned a lot. I learned a lot about the night time, the nightlife. Uh, so if yeah. you were around then, that means that you were contemporary of Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi was around when it was B-O-N-G-I-O-V-I. Oh, Bon Jovi, yeah. Bon Jovi. So, yeah. Um, so then yeah. you would also be contemporary of Diamond Dallas Page? Diamond Dallas Page. Don't know who that is. Oh, a famous professional wrestler who's from Point Pleasant, who was booking some of the clubs out there before he became a wrestler. Oh, so we grew up with Bam Bam Bigelow. There you go. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that's so fascinating to me that you came out of the scene with that, yet nobody loops, lumps you in with all that. Nobody goes for the most part, hey, that's a punk rock guy or a cover band guy. You kind of got your fresh start in LA in the early 90s. 
Yeah, we weren't around that that much playing covers. We were around for about a year and a half, two years, and then I was uh, graduated high school and and really trying to figure out what to do with my life. Um, you know, at 18 years old and being a young man, um, who really knows what they're doing with their life? I just wanted to have fun. You know, going going from New Jersey to California was like going to Mars. It really was, <laughs> and was such a different experience. You know, right. yeah. So, so back to lessons learned with the album being done and coming out in the last week, are you already thinking about the next album or was that just a fun experiment of one solo album? No, I've got more to say. I've got more to say. I've got uh, about five other songs written. I've got more to say. So we'll see what happens. Um, you know, getting on stage with STP and putting a bass on and playing loud music is I feel blessed. It's a it's a great part of my life that I love expressing, and uh, you know we're we're back we're back doing it. You know, it, it, um, the past couple of years were not, you know, it was very unforgiving for 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 artists and musicians and right. specifically touring musicians. So we've started tours, and someone got COVID and went home, and you know, it's it's not fun to start something that you can't finish. Right, so more to come from Sun Temple Pilots, more solo albums are possible. And we kind of never know when you're gonna pop up as a producer or a sideman on like a Bees album or something like that. Are you, are you hoping to do more session stuff in the future? Yes, um, I, I um, just did uh, some bass work on a new Ian Hunter record. Wow. Yeah. Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, Ian Hunter. Oh, just like, he's still great. Great and just a huge part, Moth the Hoople, and such a great part of my childhood and exciting part of my childhood. Um, played some bass on Billy Gibbons' last solo record too. Uh, uh, through, through, gotta thank Matt Sorum for that, for hooking that up. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, just music, music, just being surrounded by music is, is really a great thing. It's a blessing. Well, down to the last two questions here, and then I'm going to let you go. The first one is, you've always managed to be mysterious in a way and let the music do all the speaking. And like, where does Robert DeLeo live? We don't know. What does he watch on TV? We have no idea. So putting that aside, is there a business or a side hustle or, or a company or anything that you have aside from music? <laughs> no. There's no, no tequila, I, uh, there's no vodka, nothing like that? No, no. I, 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 I've thought about it through the years, but, um, you know, I enjoy my, my, my leisure time. I, I enjoy my leisure time, and that is usually being outdoors and fishing. Uh, that's, that's really what I appreciate is nature so getting out in nature is is maybe if i could bottle that and sell that I, maybe the world would be a better place you know last question i got for you do you have a tv recommendation a show that you're watching at the moment that more people should be checking out besides lesson learned in video form you know i'm kind of i'm kind of hooked on this show called alone um and it it I think what it shows and what it represents to me is the, is the human spirit and how much you can take and what you uh, finally at the end realize about yourself. 
And I think that's um, kind of what Lessons Learned, the record means to me. Well, yeah. congratulations on this album. I hope there's more to come, whatever the project is. Robert, thank you for the decades of great music and looking oh. forward to seeing you live in New York in the near future. Thank you for listening and thank you for letting me be here. Outrocast. Thank you for doing this. Aside from talking to me, how is your day going so far? It's going good. I I I, I rushed over to, to get the, the the makeup done and I, I sped over here and and uh, and and I'm I'm happy and, and good to see you. <laughs> likewise, likewise. So much I want to ask you, but we'll just cut straight into it here. Yeah. Tell me lies very intense show. Did you know it was as great as it is when you first got the script? Yeah, I mean, you get it and you're like, oh, this is really cool. But then of course it takes on a life of its own. And, and I'm so, so proud of what it became. It's, it's like the coolest body of work that I've ever had that I get to look at. It's really exciting. How much of Stephen DeMarco is there in you? Hmm. That's a good question. And some of the mannerisms, some of the way I speak, but based on his decisions and the, the, the shit he does, no, none of that. But uh, yeah, there's something, something wrong with him. But I, I definitely a, a part of me that I bring to all the, all the rules, for sure. What was the hook that got you into this project? Was it a traditional audition or had you worked with someone on the production team before? It was traditional. So it was, it was a... a, a I think someone saw Mrs. Fletcher and said, uh, give him a tape. And then I did a tape. I was in a bathroom. I was dancing. They saw the tape. They were like, that guy's really odd. Let's bring him into a meeting. And, and, and then it, and, and it worked in my favor. And, and, but it was a long process. It was like eight months or so to get the, the role. So being Brendan Fletcher really did pay off. Uh, in some way, yeah. Didn't seem like it in the moment, but in, in some ways, yeah. And then going through your IMDb, the almighty almanac Bible of the business, I see a yeah. project called The Pitch, where you're not just acting, you're behind the scenes as well. And oh, Rick Springfield is part of that. Wow, tell me about that. Oh, that's that's a cool question. My uh, He's like my uncle. He's My, my dad was his drummer for a long time. So I... I uh, really? Yeah. Yeah, my dad was his drummer from the start. I mean, Jesse's girl. So your dad my... played with Brett Tuggle. Yes, Brett Tuggle. Yeah, of course, Brett Tuggle. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, we sadly um, lost. So I didn't realize that pedigree of the Jackson White experience was. Yeah. Those yeah. guys are. I, I was raised by those guys. I mean, I was around uh, all their shows. I started playing drums when I was a kid because my dad would take me backstage and I would just watch him play. And I started when I was a kid, but, uh, uh, but I, I, I directed a short film a while ago and, and I called, uh, I called Rick and I just said, Hey man, are, are you busy? Do you want to come do this silly cameo? And, and he delivered, but I love those guys. I, I love Brett. Brett was such a sweet man. Absolutely. Hell of a songwriter and musician as well. And his son's also a successful person in music. Good, Matt is good people, I hear. But uh, we also see on your IMDb, before I let you go, Untitled Pet Cemetery Project. Is that a Stephen King-related project that you're working on? It is. Yeah, it's actually shot and in the works. Uh, it's, a, it's a prequel to the original Pet Cemetery. Uh, it's dope. It's like I, I play uh, Judd Crandall. I play, um, you know... Uh, 
the old man from the book. Uh, I, I play him as a, as a young man. So it's, it's a cool, it's a cool movie. So between Tell Me Lies, Your Excellence in That, The Pitch, this Pet Cemetery project, whatever it is, I'm looking forward to the next thing coming from Mr. Jackson White in the near future. Yes, dude. Thanks. Thank you so much. Outro cast. <laughs>